Rich, today we're sitting down with a good friend of mine and advisor to all of our companies, Chris Miller. Chris is a partner at United Insurance. And today we talk not only about how entrepreneurs can protect their businesses, but some of the things he's seeing right now in the entrepreneurial landscape. I really enjoyed digging in with Chris and he allowed me to uncover just really a universal principle that could apply to any business that he is applying with excellence. Yeah, absolutely. And Chris has been a good friend of mine, advisor to us. And I think as entrepreneurs listen to his story, you can move from employee to entrepreneur as well. Here's Chris Miller. Today's episode is being brought to you by Financial Wing. Are your company's financials keeping you up at night? We all know that today's small to medium-sized businesses often overlook the fundamentals of accounting and financial operations. Our friends at Financial Wing can help with everything from bookkeeping, monthly closing and reporting, budget planning, and much, much more. Financial Wing's reliable and professional approach will quickly build your trust and turn your finances into an asset versus a liability. Go to financialwing.com EU for your free 30-minute consultation and see what they can do for you. Chris, welcome to the Entrepreneurs United podcast. Excited to have you on with us today. Thank you, John and Rich. Appreciate it. Looking forward to this and I've uh, listened to some of your stuff in the past and uh, looking forward to being part of this, uh, this opportunity. Absolutely. And you and I have known each other for well over a decade in business. And certainly, although we have done a lot of things together in business, I'm sure there's a lot of your entrepreneurial story and past and you growing your business and what you've been doing that I quite honestly don't know. And I want to take sure. this opportunity today to dive in a little bit to your backstory and then get to what you do. And then most ultimately, You've been working to protect myself and our businesses for many years. I want to dive into sure. a little bit of the things that maybe we've done, but also how businesses and entrepreneurs can protect them from a PNC perspective. So let's first start with your background story, if you can. Talk to us a little bit of the journey of Chris Miller. Interesting. I, I fell into the insurance business where most people do. There isn't many people that can say that they woke up one day and said they want to be an insurance agent. But certainly it's, it's something that you certainly, again, just fall into. And so I started working with Maine Mutual Group, MMG Insurance out of Presque Isle, Maine, Northern Maine. And I started as an auto adjuster. My father, as a child growing up, had an auto repair business. So I was familiar with the ins and outs of insurance and how the process worked. And so they were looking for someone to help appraise vehicles. And so that's how I got my start. And then shortly after that, within probably... I don't know, two or three years, I got into the marketing department at MG Insurance, which got me a chance to be out on the road and, and visiting with people, which I really seemed to enjoy. Shortly thereafter, in about 2007, um, Chris Condon, our then CEO at United Insurance, hired me to take over an office in Portland, Maine. It was a smaller personal lines agency. And then I've been there ever since. So I've been with United Insurance now for 15 years. Um, and became a partner in 2000 and beginning of 2015. And then just most recently, shortly after the pandemic, the minority shareholders at United bought out the majority shareholders, I being one of them. There's a total of nine of us. So kind of a unique story in that we get an opportunity to perpetuate the business within as opposed to selling out simply to the highest bidder. Chris, I'd love to dig right in on the insurance side. I think when most people think about insurance, they think about it as potentially a necessary evil or an expense that hopefully one day will never pay off because they don't want whatever would happen that they're being insured from. And generally, nobody's, you know what I love doing? I love getting insurance. Like, talk to us about where your passion from for insurance comes from, because I think 
from what John has told me about you, you are really passionate about it. And I don't think the average person is. Where does that passion come from for you? Yes, thank you, Rich. Simply just wanting to help people. If you look at any tough insurance claim, it comes from it's the worst case scenario. Your house is burnt down, your business is being sued, you've been in a bad car accident and you're at fault. And so simply, and you're right, most people do look at insurance as a necessary evil, something that they just have to pay for. And hopefully they never do have to use it. That is the hope. But it's that that given protection in the event that something does happen, that you've got the peace of mind, you've got the, co- the, the right coverage and the proper coverage that you need so that you can protect your own personal or and or business assets. But really, Rich, to your question, just the, the passion to help people through insurance. Mm-hmm. I know it sounds a little strange, but I've seen many claims where, you know, you get a thank you at the end because someone's house is being rebuilt and they had the correct insurance and they're able to replace all their personal items or their business can stay open because they purchased the right um, liability limit or umbrella limit of uh, coverage. What are some of the little known things that are available in insurance today that maybe weren't available 10 or 15 years ago, these cutting edge pieces of a policy, the average entrepreneur may not know about that they really should. That's a really great question. We are seeing immense pressure in the cybers. Many businesses believe that just because they're they're not directly involved in with the internet, that they don't have a cyber liability exposure. And that's not the case. We found that it's uh, every business needs it. They need a decent amount of coverage. Um, and that can all be determined on overall exposure, but certainly cyber liability is certainly one of them. And then probably one of the most common claims that we do see on a business side is employment practices. Somebody, an employee may sue the business for discrimination of some kind. We probably see more claims on that side of the house than any other type of insurance at the moment. Silly me, it's exactly what I wanted out of the question. I've never even heard Mm. of cyber liability exposure, like those three words put together. Mm. I've never heard of that phrase. Where is exposure for the average business where they might not feel that they have any? What, What is their liability? Yeah, here's one that we hear often, and it comes with processing credit card payments. Oftentimes, a business owner will believe that, well, this document that I signed with this company that's leasing me, this credit card machine is going to cover me in the event that one of my customer's information is exposed or is out there. And that's not the case. If you read the fine print, all liability goes to the end user first taking it. And there's certainly a need at any time that you're keeping personal, identifiable information, through, whether even whether it's not through cyber, but it can be data breach compromise where you have internal files. And really cyber liability is an extension of the data breach coverage, which we kind of first came out. And so it, it just, as the internet expands, the exposure expands. We do more and more online apps, whatever. And then there's hackers out there, these, these third parties out trying to steal information and they're very creative. You mentioned there are more and more employment claims. Where does the rise come from of employment claims? What's the typical employment claim and why is that on the rise? It really stems down to, we see a lot from wrongful termination. Now, I think more than ever, there's a voice for the employees, if you will, through labor laws that are set by the federal and state governments or procedures have to be followed. We strongly encourage our clients to make sure they're talking to the right law firms to make sure their employee handbook is up as sufficient and 
done correctly so that these never happen, even though, Rich, the best handbook still doesn't prevent you from a potential claim. And one of the issues that we see, and it can be tough for a business to understand, is that it can be cheaper for the or less expensive for the insurance company to settle these than to fight them in litigation. You start talking with attorney's fees, all of a sudden the insurance company can write simply write a check. And at the end of the day, they can get out of it for a third, maybe, or 25% of what they would have paid through attorney's fees. And they just, there's a release form and, and they sign it and it goes away. All right. So I'm going to take us in a completely different direction. This is the problem, in my opinion, of American legal system slash insurance. Yeah. It is very well known, in my opinion, by all of the malpractice attorneys and now by all employees, that they can find any reason they want to sue a company. That company is going to say, we have insurance for that. We got employment practices insurance. Hey, Chris, we got a claim. And then you're going to have whoever the insurance company is, the underlying insurance company is going to get involved. And they're going to talk to the malpractice attorney and they're going to realize, oh my gosh, this is going to cost me half a million dollars. It's going to cost me $100,000 to fight. We're just going to settle this thing for $75,000 with the employee mm-hmm. who was getting maybe paid a fraction of that. Sure. And the employee wins and goes to the bar and goes, yeah, I'm good. I got fired and got a check. How does that ever get solved? Because I, that's just, that's another pandemic. To me, sure. it's a problem. Do you guys see the same thing or am I just seeing this yeah. myself? No, most of these, again, most of these claims will settle out. They'll never see the courtroom. The large ones and the more serious ones, but these smaller ones, they'll settle out five, ten, fifteen, twenty-five thousand dollars. And oftentimes there are, there is no merit to the claim, but it's the sheer allegation that something did happen. And I don't know at this point how that gets solved, because again, the insurance company is simply looking at it saying, I can't roll the dice and, and pay out $250,000 when, to your point, I can settle this for fifty or seventy-five today, and we just close it and we move on. It's a, it is a problem with the legal system. I don't know from an insurance perspective. It would, just, it would force rates, if they fought all of them, it would force rates to maybe double or triple overnight. Yeah, but I think the same is happening when you settle them. You're settling them, and then more people are coming after you. That's why employment practices claims are on the rise. I know in other countries, for example, in Sweden, if you lose a case, you're paying for everything. Both sides attorney, you're paying for everything. And, and it forces sure. people to think twice. Okay, am I really going to do this? It, I think this legal system that we have here, listen, you can't drive down the highway without seeing you've uh, fired inappropriately. Contact us because we're going to help you. These ambulance chasers, right? They're all over the place trying to sure. figure this out. Okay, there's nothing we can do. We don't have those solutions unless, Rich, you have a solution that's going to get solved. We don't have one on this podcast. Talk to me about the entrepreneur. You said, an employee handbook. Yes. yes. Have a tight employee handbook. Because really, if I think about this, think about a highway with a bunch of exits, right? Mm. The employees, you know, trying to figure out how they can come out for this company. They're like, they, they fire me, but it doesn't say in the handbook, I can't take a break. Oh, I'm going to take that one. What you want to do is you want to take all the exits off so that there's mm-hmm. no off ramp for that employee to say, I'm going to sue the company because of this. So you have to Correct. try and limit those issues. You said one way to do is hire a good counsel for an employee handbook and make sure that's tight. What would be the second, third, fourth, fifth, or I don't know how long the list would be, but what are some of the big hitters that entrepreneurs listening to this can go, okay, I'm going to go make sure I'm sharp in these areas because inevitably, if you're not, they're going to find it. Yeah, great question, John. And this really hits on 
something that I know both you and Rich have talked about previously on some other podcasts, and that is culture within your organization. If you're building a culture where people can be open and comfortable working together as a cohesive unit, you are less likely to see any type of employment practices claim. You're going to, you're going to have employees who are happy, who want to come to work, less opportunity for them to be disgruntled. So certainly culture within your organization, next to the handbook is probably one and one and the same. Secondly is, or thirdly, I would make sure that you attorney on standby outside of what the insurance company would provide for you. Certainly somebody that you can go to and ask legal questions before, before you make a comment to a potential who wants to leave or is threatening to leave for whatever action. And then that way you can talk to that attorney to make sure you've got all your ducks in a row before you do say anything to them. So that's certainly important. And then lastly, you can, to your point, you can have the perfect handbook, you can have the best cult, and you can have an attorney on standby. It still doesn't prevent you, but having a quality insurance product to back you um, in that instance, in the event that it does happen, is certainly important. Interestingly enough, you can buy limits, uh, higher limits at, at a really affordable rate still. Even though there's that many claims, if you're willing to take on a little bit bigger retention, and retention meaning deductible, if you're willing to pay for the first 10, 15, even 25,000, you could really get some higher limits at a very affordable cost. Okay. So have a tight employee handbook with legal counsel, yep. culture being a major driver of what major. kind of culture you have with your organization, attorney on standby, ready to help you before you say the wrong thing. Hey, Correct. this is what's going on. What do I do? That's a big one that I learned is mm. before you say a word, before you just go fire someone, you're better <laughs> off just go find out what the right approach is and do the right approach. Uh, quality insurance product. Obviously, we have to end there because that certainly is a big piece to just protect the business through it all. So I appreciate you sharing all that. I think it's a, I think it's a big topic because it's not if you're ever going to have an employment practice suit. Make sure you close off the, those ramps. I have a question on the quality insurance product part. Sure. I hate to admit, but I would be probably a commodity buyer of insurance. In other words, mm. I don't know. What's the price? Have I heard of the name of the company? Oh, why wouldn't I pick the lowest price? Can you educate me? How am I supposed to buy insurance and know it's a quad? I don't know the difference. What's a quality product? What's a sure. not quality product? Other than the price, which appears to be obvious on how to Ooh. be able to comparison shop, how am I supposed to buy insurance outside of price? Yeah, great question, Rich, and I appreciate that. First off, I'm a bit biased here, but I do think you need a quality insurance agent, somebody that's looking out for your best interests giving you options outside of just price, understanding your business, making sure that, again, they're putting you with a carrier that has a quality rating, an AM best rating of A or better, A plus or better if you can get that. And then one of the things you do want to stay away from, there are some products out there that are what we would call non-standard or surplus lines. Depending on which state you're in, there are certain laws where you can't offer it unless three standard markets decline. Again, that depends on state. But really, it comes down to the agent and what they can provide you and show you what the product is, understand your business. And if an agent, if you're with an agent that's simply showing you only price, you have to question, you have to question the product itself. You should have three or four different options and you don't have to take the highest option, but you probably shouldn't take the lowest either. Typically, it's always somewhere in the middle. It's probably the sweet spot. I'll compliment that too. Just a small commercial here, but like entrepreneurs need that. You just talked about having a quality attorney. You also need a quality CPA. You also need a quality financial advisor. You also need a quality insurance broker. And in my experience with you, Chris, our relationship has been built not over necessarily, are you the lowest quote? 
It's been, hey, John, have you considered this and this? And what about this situation? And how we protect sure. ourselves over here? And maybe we should look at a captive insurance program over here. And when you get all those advisors in the room and you have the quality advisors, you get all the protections that your business should have at that particular moment. So it's a great question, Rich, because I think a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, will talk to a CPA. I'll just go to a different industry. They'll talk to a CPA and they'll be like, Oh, this CPA charges me $2,500 to do my taxes. I can get that done for H&R for $500. It's not the expense. It's the ROI. But I think when you say quality insurance product, I think the quality advisor, you the insurance products you need is maybe just as important in addition to being a quality product, right? What's Agreed, the difference John. between, John, what Chris has done, which the average agent of whatever they're selling might be looked at as a pest to call you and say, hey, have you thought about this angle? I got something for you. Have you thought about this angle? I want to sell you something else. Mm -hmm. Like that sounds like running the risk of being a pest, but that's not how you receive Chris. You receive Chris as like, wow, that was really helpful. You were being thoughtful. How does Chris go about that, that our listeners might be able to take a note from when they're being just front forward, thinking of their clients, trying to get out there and do something for them and not be a pest. Yeah, that's interesting. I'd love to hear Chris's take on this too, because if Chris, you were training somebody in your industry on how to do this business best and make the customer feel the way I feel, how are you training them? So I'd be curious to compare notes. Mm. But for me, Rich, I don't know what all insurance brokers or agents know, but Chris knows all of our executive management, he knows what every single one of our companies do. It's not a commodity sale. It's not, I'm looking for the sale and I'll call you next year at the renewal time. It's much heavier interacted, right? He understands what's going on. If there's a new product coming in, he's advising us on that. If we're looking to buy a company, he's involved in that conversation. Look at the insurance coverages that company has to make sure we're not exposed there. So it's a more intertwined. Now, I'm not saying every business needs that, but once you develop that quality advisor relationship, uh, Chris knows now what's best for our business more than we know what's best for our business. And he brings those to us. But in addition to that, Chris can represent multiple insurance products with multiple insurance companies. And he can also help price it for us and get us the best deal of all of the different companies out there. Cause he knows what types of coverages we have. So for me, it's the relationship, but what the understanding of the business and where the business is going and wants to go. And the last piece I would I'd be is more of that non-commodity. Like the, what you talked about earlier was like, who's got the lowest price? That's where I'm, I have no doubt in my mind. I can find somebody that can undercut Chris by X percent or whatever. And, mm. and because all they're doing is a commodity sale, but they're not going to give me the protection I need and the advisement that I need. Now, if Chris was charging me hundred percent markup of what everybody else was charging, maybe that'd be a different issue to, to have with Chris. But uh, <laughs> it's that relationship, that openness, that understanding of the business, that being an advisor to the business not just an agent. So anyway, Chris, how I have would a you question respond? for you, Chris. What percentage of the interactions that you have had with John make your cash register ring? All of them. You could agree. Yes, know, absolutely. So, 100%, 100%. so John, you said he comes out and he looks at the insurance policies of a business that we're trying to buy. Do you charge for that service, Chris? No. No. Okay, so, so do, it's not do. all of them that you charge for. No. What percentage of interactions you have with John are you actually making your cash register ring? Because my hypothesis is the number is lower than the average bear. My hypothesis is that's how you don't come off as a pest is you're not constantly chasing the cash register. But I don't know that, which is why I'm asking. 
Yes, it's a great question, Rich. And, and John, first, I'll back up here just a quick second. Thank you for the kind words. Certainly appreciate the relationship we built. But really, it comes down to relationship, Rich, right? So at the end of the day, I look at it in totality of the account makes X numbers of dollars there. But I may need to, because of something that's going on within their organization, I may need to spend 50% more time this year than I did the previous year. But that's okay, because I'm heavily invested in the business itself and making sure that, that company is well protected. And to me, there's, it's not really, it's about long-term building relationship. And so when I look at working with any company, it's about what do they need? How do I do it right? get it done correctly for the most affordable rate and for the best overall coverage. So you are correct in that a lot of touches we don't get paid on, but that's immaterial to us or to myself. It's about the relationship and doing Absolutely. what's right for the company. It's immaterial to the point where you're almost resistant to give me a number, but I'm going to persist. Mm. Is it half of the interactions you have with John about a, about one out of every two? Uh, we're doing something where money exchanges, or is it like one out of four or one out of 10? What is your perception of that, Chris? I would say it's probably one out of 10. Probably, you probably hit it right on that. Probably, it's probably 10% of the time. I'm forever talking to John on the new products that are coming out. Sometimes they make sense and sometimes they don't. But at the very least, we're having a, an in-depth conversation as to whether or not it makes sense for the business. And sometimes we kick it and punt it down the road and we revisit it a year down the road or six months down the road. But I would probably say 10% of the time. But ultimately, again, we I said I don't look at it from a dollars and cents perspective. It's simply about the relationship. And if I'm taking great care of them, I sleep well at night. I think that's yeah. why you're as successful as you are. And what I was gathering from your relationship and is how John was describing you and your service, I had that hypothesis, and I think it turns out to be true, mm. that mm. I would bet your competitors, Chris, are not spending nine out of 10 interactions, are not chasing money, they're mm. touch points, they're helping, they're asking a question, Absolutely. they're connecting, they're, they're something other than making the cash register ring. I bet that is one of the unique things about you is your absolute focus on long-term relationships and not mm. worrying about the cash register because what you're really worried about is servicing your client. That's right. And that's very fair. Again, at the end of the day, without my clients, I'm not in business. My company is not doing as well as it could. You, When you're, you have an agent and you have an insurance agent who is vested in you, they should be contacting you often, not to try to sell you something. Yes, maybe to talk about some personal business, but Ultimately, just doing what's best for you. And it's not about long, it's not about sales, it's not about dollars. It is to an extent, but at the end of the day, it's about that business and your business and making sure that you are well protected. Yeah. And I, and I think the other part, just there's interactions that Chris is having with us. I think more times, maybe 50% of the time, it's us reaching out to Chris going, Chris, help. What do we do in this situation? Or, hey, we, can you help us with this particular? Can you help us analyze this? Or can you help us do this or do that? Where we're reaching out. It, going back to the point that you just mentioned, if you have a commodity broker you don't really trust, they just give you the best price. Are you reaching out to them, asking them for advice? Probably not. So Chris, to a certain degree is, not to a certain degree, he is one of our advisors that we reach out to. And sometimes we reach out to him with something that has nothing to do with his insurance products. Uh, but it's something that ties into the overall picture of the business because there's an advisor sure. there. Chris, I want to take this in a completely different direction. You were a non-equity positioned employee of a company in 2007. 
you then became an entrepreneur within that organization because you became a partner within that organization. And I'm not sure exactly what that structure meant, but either way, you're converting from an employee kind of into an entrepreneur, but you're kind of an sure. entrepreneur in the business. You're giving more responsibility. Yeah. I'm now a partner. And then boom, I'm an entrepreneur. I own this thing now. I'd love to talk about the evolution of your skill sets going from starting day one at that company to becoming an entrepreneur, to becoming an entrepreneur. Because there's a lot of people listening to these conversations that may not own a piece of their company, but mm -hmm. you have grown yourself into that position, both from a skill set perspective, as well as factually from an equity ownership perspective. Mm -hmm. Talk to us a little bit about that evolution of your skill set. I think when I first came to United, one of the, one of the reasons they, they wanted to hire me, I, I do have a, a natural sales ability. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was certainly a skill set that they were looking for to try to grow in that Southern Maine, Portland area, if you will. And so I helped fill that. And so one of the things that I've just talked about is in insurance, there's a million different types of coverage that you can sell somebody. So as a great salesperson, I need to learn my product a bit more. And that's, a, that's an ongoing process. It's forever changing, new coverages. There's always something, things change within the industry. So being a student, if you will, of that, of that business being extremely important, knowing what you're selling and how it pertains to your clients being one. And then as you get along, you have some success and you're learning your product. One of the things that, that I went through is building, building confidence in myself. I started out writing smaller commercial accounts, small business, I mean, extremely small, less than 10 people, but then to grow into over time, over a 15 year period where I have some clients who have 150 or 200 employees. And at the end of the day, it's interesting. The insurance concepts aren't different. It's more about the people that you're dealing with are more sophisticated. They're what we call better buyers, educated buyers. And then just having confidence in yourself and the ability to make that leap into writing larger accounts. As, as I wrote larger accounts, my value within the organization became greater. And so they wanted to make sure that I wasn't running down the street and going elsewhere. Yep. And so they gave me a, an opportunity to to get in with this with small equity and become that it's funny once you do that you certainly look at the business a lot differently now that yeah. you have ownership there's no question yeah building that culture of entrepreneurship in your organization is such a key principle of entrepreneurial success i'm assuming that the nine minority owners buying out the owner of the business a kudos to that owner who built up the entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs in the organization and said you guys continue the legacy yeah. from here because I'm sure there's a lot of other options that spin around to sell the company at a bigger player in the game 100%. or whatever, whatever. So talk to me about the characteristics of that entrepreneur yeah. and why they made that decision. It's a really interesting story. So this is the third time that this company has been perpetuated. So the previous ownership group, there were actually, there were four of them that sold their majority stake. Previously, they bought in about 10 or 15 years before from the previous ownership group who actually started the company. And so the deal was that you do everything you're supposed to, you grow the business, and then you will then someday get an opportunity to buy it. It means that there are some sacrifices, though, that come along. I could have gone to a competitor, made more money. I could have writing larger accounts with a lot more support with bigger organizations. But by staying with the company I was at, I had the opportunity to, again, become an actual owner and entrepreneur of that business. But it is a, it's very unique because I could say within our industry, internal perpetuation is almost non-existent today because there are this private equity out there. There are larger national agents trying to buy insurance agencies, scoop them up and 
put them into the fold with you. And it is really a unique opportunity. I love your story about that entrepreneurial journey, Chris, that you shared and how you, how people in the companies just keep building that skill set, keep learning, keep growing. Sure. And then for the entrepreneur who owns the business to have the insight into, I'm going to pass this business down further is fantastic. But hey, appreciate having you on today with us. Fantastic conversation. And certainly a lot for entrepreneurs to think about to make sure they got their coverage where that needs to be. How can people reach out if they want to learn more about what you guys do for entrepreneurs? Yeah, thank you, John. I appreciate you both for having me on. Much appreciated. Really look forward to this. You can reach us at our website, www.unitedinsurance.net, N-E-T. has all our contact information, the different types of insurance that we do offer, and it has all our phone numbers listed. And then within that, our management team, you can learn a lot about us. And then obviously, if there's anything I can do to help anybody that's going to watch this, this podcast or listen to it, please reach out to me through the website and love the opportunity to have a chat. Awesome. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you for your time. Please stick around for a few more minutes while Rich and I break down this episode. John, among other things that I enjoyed about our conversation, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he actually cited culture in an organization is a form of insurance. Like you are going to have less employment practice suits if you have a good culture in your business. I've never heard anyone in the insurance business talk about it in that way. Yeah. And if you just think about it for a second, if you work for a jerk, just, I'm just going to pick out the entrepreneur boss for a second and they mistreat their people, abuse their people. The culture is I'm going to abuse you and throw you out the window. You're more prone to that situation. If you work for a mentor, think about our conversation with Ted Ma. If you work for a mentor who's invested in you, giving you the tools to succeed and things don't quite work out. You'll go get another job. You're not going to go hurt the mentor. It just didn't work out. Different cultures in those two different examples. That's an extreme of two examples, but the culture you have absolutely can protect your business against certainly the employment practices. I believe, I think it's a really well put by Chris. Yeah. And obviously where I spent the majority of my time asking questions really uncovered for me, one of his keys to success. And he is so long-term relationship driven. As I said on the podcast, I mean, he was almost resistant to give me a number because he didn't want to talk about focusing on money because he's not focusing on money. He's focusing on serving you as a client. He's focused on touches and communication and helping. And to get him to get into a space where he's like about money, like, I had to get there a time or two, but oh my gosh, 10%. Would you line up with that? Somewhere around 10% of his contacts, he actually makes a cash register ring. 10% of his contact with you. Yeah. Nine out of 10 times that you're talking to him, you're not putting money in his pocket. You're getting educated. You're learning something. You're building a relationship yourself. It, are the, first of all, are those numbers accurate? Listen, the... I'll give you two answers. I know you don't like two answers. You like one answer, but I'm going to give you the two <laughs> answers. Every, I mean, we, there's a significant book of business that we do with Chris. And as a part of that book, we have expectations of the relationship and the advisement and the stuff that he can provide our business. So yeah, every time we talk to him, he is making money. That's part of the good and the service that we're going to get. That being said, I probably think the number is one out of 20, more than one out of 10 personally. I've talked to him probably a dozen times in the last month and none of them had to do with a new policy. None of them. 
It was all about, can you help me with a situation that I got going on or help me plan around a situation or something? And that's the type of advisor you want. If somebody who's not saying, oh, you're calling me again, I need to sell you something or else I can't be talking to you. They were wasting my time. That's the commodity sales. You know, up, up till this point, we've talked about him doing that. I want to take a quick time out and go, what about the learning lesson that you're providing to our entrepreneurs? As an entrepreneur, we should expect more. We should reach out more often. Yeah. We should ask for more. We should make not make the assumption that every time we talk, we need to sign a policy. Yes. We should ask for more. I think as much of as an example as Chris is, and I think he is, I think you are also a shining example for entrepreneurs on gathering your correct advisors around you and using them in the way that is most useful for you and not being shy about it. Yeah, but I'll tell you, Rich, that's a learned attribute. I definitely was the entrepreneur looking for the cheapest CPA, the cheapest insurance, the cheapest lawyer, because I didn't want to spend a dime. Are you kidding me? We got to save the money. And I was penny wise and dollar foolish. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs are penny wise and dollar foolish as it relates to building their team of advisors. And so what happens? Okay, you don't have the right team of advisors around you. You get knocked in the teeth once. You get punched in the gut a second time. You get kicked somewhere else a third time. You're on the ground bleeding and you're like, next time I'm just going to get the right advisors because the return on investment on having the proper tax advice should pay you three times the amount you're paying your CPA. But yet people I'm paying, oh, that's how much you pay for your accountant to do your taxes? That's crazy. But the amount of money we pay for our CPA to do our taxes, we get back three times in spades. Tax planning, reducing our taxable income, other planning advice. It's crazy. But if you have to, but if you don't have the expert advisement, the opposite will happen to you. And I think I lived that maybe a few too many times to realize, okay, now I understand what it means to have the right people around you. I'll tell you, I for number one don't expect enough from the CPA that files taxes. I do not expect enough from our insurance agent. And I guess somehow in the back of my mind, I have waited for them to reach out to me and tell me about the new thing or, and they're not thinking about me. And at some level, that's unfortunate, but some level that's okay. The question is, are they gonna be responsive to me when I reach out to them? And I have a need or I have a question or I wanna schedule a time to be able to visit to understand what my options are a little bit deeper. And I gotta tell you, I learned something from both you and Chris on this that I believe I should implement.